why did it take me so long in order to decide I needed to pull the plug on running? Like, what was it that made me cling to the idea of running a little bit banged up for so long? Um, that's really cool. It's like I'm getting deeper into figuring all that stuff out so that when I come back, I'll have, yeah, hopefully like a really sturdy foundation to build on. But then I'll also have that knowledge to kind of like help me get a little bit further. That's Gene Mack. And this is episode 78 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back or welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and I'm excited to share a conversation that I recently had with Jean Mack. She's an Olympic trials qualifier in the marathon who moved to San Francisco from New York just a few months ago. Jean works as a copywriter at Strava, where she also hosts the Athletes Unfiltered podcast. She ran 239.04 in her second marathon last fall at Chicago, and she's currently working through an injury so that she can be at the top of her game for the Olympic trials in February of 2020. This was a super fun, wide-ranging conversation. We dug into Jean's relationship with running and how that's evolved over the years. We talked about what it's been like for her to take time off from running right now to work through an injury and how some of the conversations that she's had as a podcast host have helped her in that regard. We got into the differences between the running scene in New York versus here on the West Coast, and I think you'll find that to be super interesting. Uh, We talked about the lessons that she's learned and how her training changed from her first marathon to the second one. Uh, She told me about the professional path that she's traveled to land where she is today, got her thoughts on the current state of running media, and a lot more. You'll enjoy this one, so let's jump right in with Jean Mack. Where in Rhode Island are you from? Um, from Bristol. Okay. It's like tiny, yeah. Whole state's tiny. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I it's mean, true. I guess it is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's definitely true. I mean, I, I used to run, um, like, over winter break, Brown would do these, like, open meets mm-hmm, indoors, totally. and I would go down there and do them as workouts, and it was, like, a 30-minute drive from Worcester, so <laughs> yeah, uh, I get it. I went to school with a lot of kids that actually lived in Mass because it's, like, right over the border. So, yeah, it's yeah. so close. Cool. Well, let's get right into it. Gene Mack, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and like kind of honestly like a little intimidated and very honored about like the people you've had on before me. I'm kind of like thinking maybe there's a mistake. Like maybe you think I, you don't know who I am exactly. Well, I've but... no, I, well I don't know who you are. I've known of you um, through social media and other mutual connections that we have. And I know that you moved here to San Francisco not that long ago and I've been wanting to get in touch. And I was like, you know what? A good way to do that would be just to have you on the podcast. So, I mean, this is our first real conversation that we've ever had. So who knows where it's going to go, but I'm catching you at the end of your workday, tail end of your workday yep. here at Strava headquarters in San Francisco. Let's just start right there. What is it that you do here at Strava? Yeah, I'm a copywriter here at Strava. I started in April. So about five-ish months ago. Um, and I, I write copy kind of specifically for Summit, which is our paid membership program. Um, and yeah, so that means anything from writing like UX in product copy, so like the words that you see within the app, um, or emails that go out, or product marketing that happens within the app, but it's not like tied to the app itself. Like we call them Dorados. Um, but yeah, things like that. And I also worked a little bit on our own podcast, Athletes Unfiltered. Um, Our second season launched this summer, so I was 
really excited and lucky to be able to work with some folks on the marketing team on that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like um, an added exciting thing that I did. Did that come up more recently or was that something that you had talked about when you were interviewing for the position here at Shava that, hey, I also have some experience podcasting because you did the Runners of NYC podcast before that, which we can talk about. Um, or did that come after the fact? Yeah. Um, it didn't come up like explicitly when I was thinking about coming out here to Strava. It was kind of like included in some of my materials for um, my application. But yeah, it came up kind of like once I was out here that they were sort of rethinking um, an approach to the podcast after the first season and wanting to like maybe just try some new things out. And and it was really like super convenient that I was able to kind of like record from here. Like I could be pretty flexible with my schedule. And so, yeah, we ended up just kind of moving forward with it. And it was awesome. It was like such a cool experience to get to know all of these people, kind of like what you're saying. I would, I would know of the people that I interviewed because right. a lot of them were like, you know, very influential and well-known runners, cyclists, um, just kind of all around adventurous people. But, um, I didn't, actually personally know any of them and then at the end of this like hour-long conversation I would have with them I felt like we were best friends so it was cool while we're on the topic which of those conversations that you've had for the Strava podcast have been most impactful on you or maybe surprised you the most oh man um I love the Ricky Gates one yeah. Um, and I know Ricky a little bit and actually ran the last couple of days of his like Transamericana run cool. with him. But um, when I saw that pop up, I was like, OK, I got to listen to this. Yeah. Ricky was awesome. Um, I, I did love that story because it made me think a lot about place and kind of like how you get to know a city and why it's important to know the cities that we live in. And um, yeah, kind of like what we owe to place as runners who get to constantly run through all these amazing parks or even if they're not amazing, just these places that we kind of make our like daily habits out of running down them. Um, so kind of thinking about like, do we, do we feel like we owe anything to those places that we spend so much time in was really interesting. I think Susie Chan's episode, because she talks a little bit about like having an injury and being very at peace with her injury for a little while and kind of like not feeling frustrated or antsy or like, dang, I, I like came back from surgery and like being a little bit injured before and now I just got injured even worse. And that would have like made me so frustrated. And I think in a weird way, when I interviewed her, I was going through kind of exactly what she had already gone through and she'd come to like more of a, an understanding with it. And she was much more at peace with feeling all of those things than I was in the moment because I was like just starting to realize, okay, I'm a little bit banged up and I was not ready to accept that. Um, so yeah, her interview brought up like a lot of, just uh, kind of hit home exactly. for where you're at right now. <laughs> yeah. It made me, um, like feel, frustrated at first. I was like, she, she's lying. <laughs> and she obviously wasn't lying. She was so spot on. Like she was so wise and I just couldn't understand it. And now it's kind of sunk in and yeah, I'm like, Oh, it makes sense that she would have to be a little bit more understanding. Um, you came out here from New York city mm -hmm. to work at Strava, pretty much operated your entire life on the East coast, brought it out here to San Francisco. Was Strava a place that you always wanted to work or was it sort of the right opportunity at the right time for you? Because that's a big move having made it myself 10 years prior. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was 
kind of both of those things. It was the perfect thing at the right time. Like I was in New York. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure we might touch on this later, but I recently was kind of forced to do the math. And I think I've moved since 2012. So in about like the past seven years, I've moved, if you count like different apartments as well, about 10 times. Um, you got me so, beat. Yeah. So I feel like my move back to New York. So I was living in New York when I decided to move out here, but I had moved from Flagstaff, Arizona to New York. And um, that was because I finished a grad school program in Flagstaff, headed back to New York to um, to try to get a job and kind of like figure out what my next step was going to be. And I do love New York. I have a very love-hate relationship with it. But while I was there, I was just kind of struggling to find something that felt like the perfect fit for me where I would still get to do things that I was like super passionate about and not feel like I was wasting my time at like kind of a desk job at an office. Um, but, but then also like not feel like I was just like completely out on my own freelancing and living a life where I like had no, no like set foundational schedule or things that were like carved into my plan, like week in, week out. I was kind of figuring out that I need a little bit more structure than just working remotely and mm -hmm. being my own boss. Um, so yeah, this, this option, this opportunity with Strava came up and yeah, it just felt like if there was a company that I wanted to work for, it was Strava. Like I, I really can't imagine any other tech company, but really any other company that felt more perfectly aligned with what I was looking for. And then the fact that it was a writing job on top of that was just like, yes, no brainer. Like I am so excited about that. When did you finish up your grad school? So 2016. No, no, wait. <laughs> That's when I started it. 2018. So I was only in New York for like less than a year. And your grad school program was an MFA, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, in creative writing. So I perfect fit. Yeah, yeah. So so it was exciting to be able to actually like use my degree a little bit in my day to day life, which I think um, creative writing makes it really difficult to do. Um, and that was something that I was sort of prepared for coming out of that grad program, knowing that it was going to probably be a little complicated and difficult to figure out. Um, the right job opportunity, but I wasn't prepared for just like how challenging it was going to feel at different times. So, yeah. When did you open up the possibility of leaving New York? Because you said you, know, you went back to New York after being in Flagstaff for your grad program and seemed like you were almost set on staying there for a while <laughs> until you couldn't find the opportunity that you were looking for. When did you open your horizons up to leaving the city and going as far west as California? Yeah, oh, man, I don't know if there was a specific date like that. It really was like, ugh, I'm, I'm like over it. I really need to like just try something new. But I would say like over the winter, it was just like a dark point where winters in New York are kind of brutal. And um, the guy that I'm engaged to, which is a weird way to say fiance, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> I recently decided I don't really like that word fiance. It's just like a weird seems very old fashioned word, but I don't have a good option to replace it. Your husband to be. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, my husband to be, let's just call him Paul. His okay. name is Paul. He also is like starting to realize that he wasn't happy with what he was doing in New York. And so we were both kind of like, okay, well, since we're both starting somewhat at square one, 
maybe we really start at square one and kind of consider other places. Um, and we were both really into that. He was looking into some grad school himself at the time. And so, yeah, we opened the door up. And when we did that, it became apparent we like still wanted to live in a city. Um, but we wanted, I also wanted to find a place that was a little bit more like accessible for nature and, and, I got super spoiled in Flagstaff where I was running on these amazing trails every day and I had such a variety of places I could run and I felt like so connected to those places. Like I just loved going out the door and getting onto a trail or just Lake Mary Road or whatever it was. It all felt super easy and so exciting. And then in New York, it's just a little challenging and complicated to find perfect Complete places. opposite. Yeah, exactly. It's there are some really cool places to run in New York, but they're not always super easy to get to and they're a little repetitive. And yeah, I think New York is amazing in terms of running, but for very specific reasons. And I would not necessarily say that the places that you run is that specific reason. Well, coaching, I got, I've got five women who live in New York, most of them, all but one of them in Brooklyn. And it's Prospect Park every day. Uh, maybe except on the weekend, they'll get away to Central Park or they'll run along West Side Highway. But it is. It's just repetitive because the city moves so fast. There aren't as many options and you have to be pretty efficient with your time. Yeah, totally. I think there's something kind of cool about just like doing the same run every single day on repeat. But especially if you're training for longer stuff like marathons, which I was like having to do a long run where you're maybe going to do 10 or like 15 laps of Prospect Park. Like that's ridiculous. You just can't do that. Um, so. I oh, mean, no, you can. I did 23 <laughs> miles in Prospect Park last fall. It sounds brutal. It, it was pretty brutal. It was a lot. It was a lot of loops, but I totally get what you're saying. I want to put a pin in that because I'd love to talk later in this conversation about East Coast versus West Coast in terms of running culture and the club scene and all of that because I grew up outside of Boston and was part of that club scene for a while and then I came to California nine and a half years ago now and have been here ever since and and it's very, very different. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd love to get your perspective on that later as a newer runner in this area. But let's talk about your running at this point. You mentioned earlier um, when you were talking about the Strava podcast and how episode, I've already forgot her name, but the cyclist resonated with you um, as far as injury goes. Where are you at right now with your own running? Um, yeah. So at this precise moment, I am three weeks into no running at all, um, which is because I think it just ended up catching up with me that last year I wanted to have my cake and eat it too in terms of doing whatever race I wanted, whenever I wanted, just like I really was not willing to compromise on the idea of getting out there and doing all these fun races. And then um, kind of a minor thing that had been bothering me before Chicago Marathon just really kept flaring up because of that. So it was like my hamstring slash glute. But anyways, that that thing just like never really went away. And then I think because I didn't actually take much time off at all last year, it started to impact my Achilles and I was signed up for Berlin and I still am signed up for it, but um, I made the decision that I'm not going to race it because like it, my, my right, my whole right leg was just starting to have more and more little things go wrong with it. And I realized that if I kept pushing at it, it was really not going to set me up well for running the Olympic trials in at the end of February. Um, so yeah, I kind of realized that I'd rather sacrifice 
getting to do a really amazing fall marathon, but be able to feel super healthy and ready to have a nice long buildup for February. I'm going to interject right there because that's actually where you first came on my radar was last fall's Chicago Marathon. I was there with a couple of my athletes who I had running, um, Lauren Perkins, who lives in New York, hit a qualifier that day. And I remember her mentioning to me after the race because you were living in New York at yeah. the time that you had, she's like, ah, Gene Macron, 239, <laughs> or something like that. That is so specific. And, so correct. And yeah. <laughs> blew it out of the, blew it out of the water. And I was like, oh, who's, who's this Gene Mac character? And I'm like, oh, I've seen her in Tracksmith ads and, <laughs> and other places and started connecting the dots at that point. But that was a big breakthrough for you. I believe it was your second marathon, if I'm not mistaken, and five or six minutes faster than the first one. So let's just talk about Chicago. What did that race do for you? Yeah. Um, that race was awesome. I loved it. I mean, yeah, I've only run two marathons at this point in my life, so I don't have a ton to compare it to, but it was very different. My first marathon was New York City Marathon, and I had lived there. I wasn't living there at the time, so it was really cool to come back to New York um, and run through these streets where I knew so many people and I knew the streets really well, but it's a hard course, right? New York is tough. You're about to find out this year, um, but it's hilly. And so I had kind of a goal that I didn't tell a ton of people, but I wanted to try to hit an OTQ at that race. And I was 20 seconds off. Um, at New York. Yeah. So I was 245.20. Um, and that's like heartbreaking, right? After running 26 miles to be 20 seconds away <sighs> from your goal. Second a mile. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, man, I totally could have fought a little harder, but I didn't. And so then the whole next year, I just knew like, okay, well, my goal wasn't that insane. Like if I'm only 20 seconds off, it's definitely doable. Um, so I signed up for Chicago and I think like at that time I wasn't entirely sure if I was going to stay in Flagstaff for another year or if I was going to move back to New York. I ended up moving back to New York and that is what made training for Chicago feel like, ah, oh, shoot, like I don't have altitude working for him anymore. And I also have this like terrible humidity because you have to be training July and August. Yeah, summer, right. Yeah. Chicago's a little bit earlier than New York. And then I also had this real like existential crisis of like, I became, I got really dependent on all the things that just made life easier in Flagstaff where like you have a car, you can hop in the car, drive over to Lake Mary Road. You ha you can like set out bottles for yourself. Like there's not going to be traffic. You can like leave things in your car. There's nobody stealing stuff. So in New York, it's like, oh, where am I going to do this like very specific long run workout that I need to do? I don't know. And like, how am I going to make sure that I can get my nutrition in the, like the water that I need or whatever? So it all just got complicated. And I feel like that made me feel super anxious going into Chicago. I had probably like a few <laughs> concerning phone calls with my coach where I was like, I feel like you don't understand what I'm going through. And he's like, I think I do, but like you have to do it anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it was cool on the day to show up in Chicago and have it be raining a little bit. The only two marathons I've ever run have both rained a little bit. And then, and then just kind of like get into the race and all of that, like anxiety I was feeling floated away. And I like, yeah, felt pretty good. I got through like half marathon faster than I was expecting to. I was a little nervous about that. Um, and then, yeah, I think I felt really bad from like 25 to 26, but everyone does. All so. things considered, that's not so bad. That's the last <laughs> mile of the race. You're done at that point. Yeah. Did the finishing time surprise you at all? You ran low 239, took six minutes off of, six plus minutes off what you had run in your debut at New York prior to that. Was that in line with your expectations or just you surprise yourself at all? 
Um, I surprised myself a little bit, maybe. I wasn't like blown away. I think I, if I had been like closer to the A standard, I would have been like, dang, I was not expecting that. But, but yeah, I was super happy with 239. Like really can't be too upset with it. But yeah, I definitely want more. I mean, I haven't really run a race where I walk away being like, that's it. Don't want anything else. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, between those two races with Chicago being your second marathon, what did you learn from the first that you were able to apply the second time around? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, what did I learn? I think I learned that it just it just does get so, so hard at the end. So I tried really hard to go out pretty conservatively. Like I think um, I wanted to kind of make sure I was trying a negative split. I don't think I was able to, but um, but yeah, in New York, I like really died. And I think I died a little bit less in Chicago, which was nice. And the other thing that was different for me and I sort of learned, but it was more just that the situation of the race allowed me to kind of run with people more. Um, so yeah, in Chicago, I was in like a sub elite group and I, because of that, was able to run with like a lot of other women who were also chasing a certain time. And that was so exciting to me, like to just kind of have a pack that you were like, sort of trading off lead with a little bit or just working together, you know, like people would be like, uh, water up anyone need. And like, that's amazing, right? Yeah. Like to have another runner, like grab a water for you. That's so cool. So I didn't have that in New York because I was just a random entry or maybe I shouldn't say random entry, but like I, I was just entered off time and, um, and so, yeah, I didn't really have anyone that I was running with. Whereas in Chicago, it was really exciting to do that. You mentioned a little while ago how when you moved back to New York and you were training for Chicago, the challenges that you faced just having to get all that work in in the city. And I've always said this about New York and just the East Coast in general. You've got to want to be a runner if you live on the East Coast because winters suck and it's hard to get outside. Uh, summers are brutal because it's hot and humid. And that goes for someone who's trying to qualify for the Olympic trials or someone who's trying to finish their first marathon. In New York in particular, it's interesting to me, as I mentioned earlier, I've got a bunch of women that I coach who live there, so I'm familiar with the scene. And there, there's at least 10 women who've qualified for the 2020 trials from New York. I know it's more than that, but I don't know the exact number. And, and a ton of men as well. And there's just a great running scene, community there, excellent races. What was it like from that standpoint, just being a part of it, like training in New York? And even though you're doing your own thing and, and most everyone's doing their own thing because mm -hmm. schedules just don't align, but knowing that, hey, there's 10 other women in this city, if not 20, who are trying to do the same thing that I am and why can't I be one of them? Yeah, totally. Um, I think like that's what makes it like not easy, but just like viable to run in New York is the fact that you do just know that there's so many other people. And even if you're doing your own thing most of the time, I think in New York you're bound to run with other people at least like one day out of the week or something because there's just so many opportunities like so many options of who to run with, where to run. And yeah, people eventually link up. But yeah, I think, um, wait, the question was, what was that like? Basically just like being part of the, the, the crew. Um, yeah, it's, it's something I didn't fully experience when I lived in New York the first time. So like I left in, um, 2016, like around May of that year. And I think like some of the crews were like kind of just starting to you know, get a little bit more popular, have more people come through, but I didn't really get the hype. I kind of was 
doing my own thing a little bit more. And then when I came back in 2018, it was, yeah, it was crazy. It was just so cool to see that many people all like congregating around this thing that I loved. Um, and I think it made me more excited about running. Like, like you mentioned, it's hard to just kind of get out the door in New York, whether it's humidity or the winter or just where to run or like a lot of pounding on pavement. I think the fact that you either are meeting people or you just know that those people exist, it's super motivating, right? Like, oh, like my friend, she was able to wake up at 6 a.m. today and get her workout in. Like, yes, of course I can do this too. Like we're both facing the same conditions. It's it makes it easier. So yeah, I think there's something really strong and motivating about like everyone just elevating each other in New York. Yeah. Especially when you've got something that you've got to work against. And in New York, it's mostly weather related, but it's other things as well. The city just moves very fast. Um, you know, there's, there's so much going on. Like you've got to, you know, you've got to want it. And if you know other people want it, like that's just going to elevate everyone, even though, and that's a fascinating thing to me is like not many of at least the the women that I'm aware of all train together. Like they know of each other. They kind of, maybe they'll meet up for runs every, every now and then, but they're not all part of the same group. There's uh, countless groups like, you know, in New York who are doing that. And it's like, I don't know, I think putting my journalist hat on going into the trials in 2020, that's like one of the interesting storylines to me. It's like the women of, of New York. And I'm sure there's probably, no, there's not an equal number of men because there just aren't as many men qualified for the trials, period. But like New York's probably going to be the most well-represented city, I think, at the 2020 Olympic trials, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think I would argue that they do, like some people train together a tiny bit. um, Like there's this new uh, New York distance project crew that's like kind of combining a lot of those Olympic trials qualifiers and and I think even sometimes like people will step outside of their club affiliations and and it happened when I was living there that summer we would like meet in New Jersey at this reservoir with like just a group of people that were all trying to run around the same times even if it was like oh this girl runs on a different club like sometimes that just doesn't matter so so yeah I think there's something really cool about that too that like at a certain level um like Running together is more important than representing whatever club you do. Hey, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode. It's Aftershocks. Aftershocks is the award-winning headphone brand best known for its open-ear listening experience. Powered by patented best-in-class bone conduction technology, Aftershocks headphones are super comfortable and sit outside your ear so you can safely listen to music, tune into this podcast, or even take a phone call while safely being able to hear what's going on around you. Best part about these headphones? For my money, it's the battery life. Aftershocks will last you six hours. That's a quarter of your day. Whether it's a long run or a long commute, Aftershocks headphones will go the distance. Most importantly, Aftershocks headphones sound great. They deliver crisp and clear audio and feature wide dynamic sound range, deep bass, and dual noise-canceling mics. Morning Shakeout listeners can save 50 bucks on an Aftershocks endurance bundle, which includes everything you need for your next big run. You get bone conduction headphones to ensure safety and comfort, matching reflective sport belt to tote your phone and keys, a water bottle to stay hydrated, a shoe bag to keep your dirty shoes away from your clean clothes, and a cooling towel for lasting heat relief. To learn more and save 50 bucks on Aftershocks endurance bundles, visit tms.aftershocks.com and use the code TMS when you check out. My thanks to Aftershocks for supporting the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. 
I'd like to talk about your training a little bit from New York to Chicago. You've mentioned your coach once or twice. I know from doing my research for this interview that it's Stephen Kirsch. I believe you still work with him. And I, I want to talk more about him as it relates to his ultra running <laughs> pursuits later. Oh, but man. from a training standpoint, how did things change in your approach from that first marathon to the second one? Yeah. I mean, the first one, I just was an idiot, right? I mean, Steven knew what he was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. So he would send these workouts my way and be like, Hey, this is what you're doing this week. And I would just stare at them and (laughs) be really scared and intimidated. Um, and it was also at a time in my life where I had kind of like stepped away from running and then moving to Flagstaff really made me come back into it. Um, and so I was not super confident about paces that I could hit and, having never done a marathon before, I was like, I'm not confident about hitting like six minute pace at all. Am I confident about doing it for 13 miles? Definitely not. So it was really like a game of Steven consistently being like, yes, this is what we're doing. And yes, you're going to be able to do it. And just kind of like psyching myself up, trying to get that confidence back. And then going into Chicago, I'd say it was almost a blessing and a curse that I had a little bit of experience because I knew what to expect. And I kind of kept being like, oh man, like I, I'm not like in the same shape I was before New York or like, I'm not doing the same exact workout I did. Like, what's the deal? What, like, why are we doing something different? Like, and if, if something happened where like it would be too humid in New York, so I wouldn't be able to do the full workout at the prescribed pace, I would feel so shitty. Like I would freak out. yeah. Yeah. So I think having like just enough experience made me really susceptible to feeling extra nervous in my build up to Chicago. But I think towards the end of that, like in the last two to three weeks before Chicago, I started to feel like it is what it is. Like I'm in pretty good shape. We'll just see what happens. Going back uh, in your running career a little bit, you ran collegiately at Harvard. Did you know when you graduated that you wanted to stick with the sport and continue racing competitively? I'd love to understand at that point of your life, where, what place running held in it and where you wanted to take it? Yeah, I did a fifth year of eligibility because I was injured on and off in undergrad. So I had, um, like it wasn't a red shirt because Ivy leagues don't let you red shirt, but basically just like you had eligibility. Yeah. I had a indoor and outdoor season of eligibility left. So I went to Iona college, which is kind of not upstate New York, but in New Rochelle, New York. And There was a coach there who had actually recruited me to Harvard. His name is Ricardo Santos. He's now actually coaching at Stanford. (laughs) This is going to make me feel really old, but I'm going to say it anyway. So when I graduated college in 2004, when I moved back to Massachusetts, I trained with the BAA Mm -hmm. and I trained with Ricardo Santos for like two years. So it's funny to hear all that overlaps. He was back at the BAA for a little bit too. He was coaching there. Yeah. So so Rick was at Iona and he was kind of like, oh yeah, if you're interested in a fifth year, like we would love to have you here. So they have an amazing team. They have a great program at Iona. And it was really cool to experience something very different from Harvard for a year. Like that team is just, you know, really like international and getting to like meet all these people from all over and kind of experience what it was like to be on a program that has done really well um, on like the national scene and, and see what that coaching was like and see what the dynamic of the team is like was so cool. But it, wasn't really like the fifth year that I had hoped and dreamed. It was kind of like I got a little bit injured again and I just like wasn't really as focused on training as I could have been. So I walked away from my fifth year having both kind of like a bad taste in my mouth, but also feeling like 
very unfinished business, which isn't fully an English sentence, but (laughs) feeling like I had a lot of unfinished business, but I just like didn't care to try to keep going after it because I had, yeah, like kept, kept feeling a little disappointed with where I ended up. So I ran on my own when I moved to New York the first time, but I wasn't like you know, going after races or I didn't even really have like goal times. I was kind of just like, oh, there are so many little road races or 5Ks in New York and sure, I'll hop into some of them. And when did the marathon become appealing to you? Um, yeah, I didn't ever think that it would, but I kept getting these emails <laughs> from New York Roadrunners. I think if you qualify, you can qualify into that race based on like a half marathon right. time. And I had done that. I've run like the Brooklyn half a couple of times and that's an amazing race. It's awesome. And so my time there before I moved to Flagstaff, the last time I ran it qualified me for the marathon. And so like, I think I started getting emails from them being like, your last chance to sign up for the marathon. Um, so I guess it wouldn't have been the last chance, but like your third to last chance. And and I at first like delete ignored, but the last email I got from them, I was just like, ugh, there's, I just want to maybe sign up. I guess I'm just going to sign up. And then, yeah, once, once you sign up, I think it just sparks something in you to be like, oh, I'm signed up. I now have to do really well. I can't just like show up on the day. Email drip campaigns. They actually really do work. Um, That's pretty That copywriter, I owe it all to them. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Um, When you finished up at Iona, outside of running, where were you at in terms of your professional pursuits at that point? Yeah, I was floundering. (laughs) No, um, I think I did the classic thing of like focusing on running throughout college and like kind of having that be my end all be all and not necessarily being super forward thinking about what I actually wanted to do career wise. Um, I was an English major and I didn't finish my graduate degree at Iona, but I knew I still probably wanted to do something and like whether it was in marketing or journalism or something kind of revolving around writing, I just started kind of starting from scratch looking around and I was lucky enough to have New York City kind of in Westchester's backyard. So I first worked at this company called CWX, which was really small, but they were like... The compression company? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I did marketing for them. And in our office, there were four people of which I was one of. So three other people. Um, And that was my first job, like actual job. And yeah, it was it was just mind-boggling. I think I was just like so young and trying to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like and yeah, I I was like kind of figuring things out. Um so then after a while I kind of bounced around with some jobs and freelanced a little bit and then worked at a restaurant and just like really wanted to f- see what I liked and what I might want to do. And that's sort of what landed me in the idea of going back to grad school for a degree. How did your relationship with running evolve during that time? Um, I think, I think it continued to get stronger. I think, um, I met Paul, the guy I'm engaged to and, and in a weird way, I feel like that actually like helped me, get more into running again because, um, he and I met as roommates. And so like we, the story there is that I was looking for someone to kind of fill a room and I put 
I put it in my Facebook status that I needed a roommate. Did anybody know of anybody? And his college roommate who he ran with on the Columbia track team had um, grown up in Rhode Island. So I knew him through running in Rhode Island. And so he like just tagged Paul. And so Paul was also a runner. And so we would start like just, yeah, running together every day. And like I said, that was a time where I was sort of like doing five different jobs and had super weird hours. So running was kind of like the one thing that I made sure I got in every day and like the one grounding point. Um, so yeah, I'd say around that time I was like starting to get back into the swing of it. And fast forwarding ahead to now, you mentioned earlier, you know, how you're in the midst of a break right now so that you can let your body heal. How challenging has that been for you? Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> like I, yeah, I'm not really like a multi-sport athlete. I can sort of bike or like cycle, ride. I don't even know the right verb. <laughs> um, and I don't hate that, but I really don't love swimming. And swimming is the thing that I'm like supposed to be doing more because it's, you know, putting less pressure on that area of like my glute and hamstring. But yeah, it's just been so challenging. It's it's this weird, vicious cycle of like, I feel kind of like down because I'm not running on like a chemical level, but then also on like a, oh, I'm, I'm thrown out of my routine and my identity is called into question a little bit. But the thing that I would do to deal with feeling down is also taken away from me. So like, it just kind of that perpetuates. That is a vicious cycle. <laughs> yeah. Has it been challenging as well? Still being, I mean, God, you're are you even six months into living here in San Francisco yet? So it's like you haven't even been able to really get out and explore the city by foot. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Super good perspective. I was able to explore a little bit because I was stubborn and didn't take this time off until now. Um, and I honestly think maybe that's part part of why I didn't want to take time off until now is that like, I just moved to a new city. You're dealing with like meeting all these new people. Like you need something familiar that you can kind of hang on to. And that's the act of running. But then it also lets you explore this new place and get to see like, oh, this was the right call because now I can run in Golden Gate Park, the Panhandle. I can take a quick drive over to Marin and have all these amazing trails. Um, so I'm glad that I got to see that like a tiny bit before having to shut it down. Um, and yeah, it's a little frustrating that I'm like, I'm kind of missing out on getting to know this place better and getting to find all these cool trails. But I also think that they'll be there. You know, there's no rush. Um, I got a few pretty wacky trail runs in with some friends here before I had to stop running. Um, and so, yeah, I've like I've wet my appetite. So I'll be back. Do you think your perspective is going to change at all when you are able to get back to regular running and kind of a full training load as far as your appreciation for being able to do it or just what you want to get out of it moving forward? Um, yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting to, to see how that works with um, working here. Like, like the one thing about working remotely from New York and kind of like not having an office that I would go into is that I had a ton of flexibility about like, oh, I can run kind of like when it makes sense to with my right. schedule. Um, whereas here, like, yeah, I, I do have a ton of flexibility still. Like it's, it's amazing. Strava is like this type of place where there's always time for a workout. People run at lunch all the time. And so like that feels really nice. And I know that I'll be able to utilize that when I come back. But I think it'll just it'll just feel different, right? Like stress is stress. And whether that stress is like training that you're putting on your body or if it's like, oh, I'm like a little bit nervous about this big presentation or like this meeting I have to do, that's still going to impact training somehow. So it'll be interesting to see like how I can adapt to that. And I think 
I did start to get a taste of it. And yeah, it was, it was just something new, and, but not something impossible to work with. So I think I'm excited to see like when I'm feeling healthy and raring to go, like how I can slot that in. How are you thinking about the Olympic trials in February? What would be, it seems so far out at this point, especially when you're not even in training mode yet, but what would be a great day for you at the Olympic trials? Oh man. Um, and it doesn't have to be a time or a place necessarily either. Yeah. Well, I feel conflicted about this question, right? Like part of it is like, speak it into existence, say your wildest goal, just get it out there. The other part of it is like, I'm currently not running at all. So (laughs) I feel crazy saying something like, yeah, super ambitious. But I mean, my goal for Berlin was going to be to try to be like 237, maybe 236 on a crazy day. So I feel like logically, like it would be cool to try to carry that over. I mean, yeah, I'd love to be around that. I obviously would love to be faster than that as well. I think I think it's going to come down to racing super smart. I mean, I don't necessarily know that um, that Atlanta is going to be like the fastest situation. It's, it's going to be a tactical race. So I think like just really, really going out pretty conservatively is going to be important. And so I would be excited to try to also have fun seeing how high I could place. Um but yeah, I think, yeah, something around like 2.36 and I don't, I don't really, I don't want to say a top something, but we'll, we'll just see what happens. We can leave it at that. You heard it here first, folks. Um, you haven't had a chance to really immerse yourself in the running scene here fully yet, but coming from New York, Observationally, what are some of the biggest differences that you've noticed moving to the West Coast for the first time? Yeah. Um, so we're, we're taking that pin out of this part of the conversation. Yes. Back to it. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, you mentioned that kind of like the crew and the club scene in New York is very booming. And I think it's true that it's un, it's literally unlike anywhere else. I'm pretty sure. I have like traveled a little bit and even even in like other major cities, it just seems like New York has such this scene, right? Like community really doesn't mean a ton anymore because that word has just been like sucked of any meeting and just gets thrown around all the time. But, but I think New York has this like sceniness to it, which I know has a bad connotation, but there's something about like people priding themselves on like being affiliated with one crew or one club and like being all about that, right? Like it's their lives. Like it's what they really care about. It's, it's important to them. They show up. It's kind of like CRB scene and like at the track, it's this whole like sometimes extreme circus, but there's just like this big feeling of like everyone's there. It's people you want to talk to. It's, it almost feels kind of like a coworker situation, right? It's like, it's like you have those water cooler moments because it's like, oh, like, yeah, I'm bumping into you waiting in line for this water fountain. I like kind of know who you are. And that's just how you meet people and, and like get deeper and deeper into the sport. Um, and I don't know that I've seen that here in San Francisco yet. Like, Kazar Stadium is amazing, which I think you're actually going to I'm later heading, today. I'm heading there right after this conversation <laughs> to coach a workout. Yeah, it's a beautiful track. Um, and you have a big crew that rolls through. So so I wouldn't say this about your crowd necessarily, but like if you take them away, I think that the groups that are there are just a little bit more scattered. Like it's like groups of four people maybe together or like 
you know, like a few friends that just kind of show up at a time. And it's, it doesn't have that same like beating heart. Like we're here every week. It's, we're doing this and it's just like our track type thing. Yeah. I think that's accurate. And I don't know if that's necessarily a New York, San Francisco thing. It might be an East coast, West coast thing, because Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of that in Boston on the club scene there. Like the, the clubs have such rich histories there. And for most people, they're part of a club for life. And it's a point of pride where here maybe things are a little bit more transient. I mean, there are some very established clubs here like West Valley Track Club and the Impalas and people are very loyal to that. But I don't think as many of those exist here as as they do in New York. And, you know, I think to some of the things that you talked about earlier about, you know, running through winter and summer and, you know, there's consistent racing over there and there's club points and all that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. from my standpoint, having been here in the Bay five and a half years now, like I haven't really noticed that's great, great scene here. I love it, but it is very, it is very different. I think you're totally right in that New York is just very unique in, in that way. And it's been great for me from a coaching standpoint you know, having worked with a number of women there for several years now to observe it from afar. And I think every, like everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. That sounds right. So it's it's really fascinating from that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And yeah, I, I hear you that there are definitely clubs here, like not to discredit them at all. Um, but I guess, yeah, there's something about maybe the West coast, like never having to work through those moments that like make you really tough. I'm, I'm generalizing here extremely. I know that, but, um, it's just this idea of like, yeah, in the Northeast and New York, especially you like really got to, you got to want it. Like I think you mentioned and you got to be tough. And I think like maybe here it's like people that are like, Oh, like, Another another day, mid sixties. Like, There's less to work against. Yeah, there, there really is. There's less like challenging you. Like, do you really want to get out the door today? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like here, you don't really have an excuse. And, and it it is. It's funny from that standpoint because we certainly don't get snow here, and we're not running through ice in the wintertime. But it'll it'll rain, and, and it amazes me like the number of people that that keeps inside or who just won't run that day because mm-hmm. it, because it's raining. Whereas you know, in, in New York, it's like, it's doing more than raining. I mean, it's like freezing rain, it's sleet. And it's like, people are still going to get out and get their running. Cause that's just what you do. Totally. Um, we talked about your coach, Stephen Kirsch a little while ago. He ran the Western States 100 this year as his first hundred miler. He ran amazingly well. He did. You were part of his crew, I believe. And if you weren't part of his crew, I know you were at least there and got to observe it. I'd love to get your thoughts as a non-ultra runner on the ultra running scene because that was fascinating for me when oh, I moved man. out here because I had no real interest in trail and ultra running when I came to not just California because in San Diego there wasn't as much of a scene there and I certainly had no interest in it but when I moved up here and got involved with the community there is a, a definitely a trail community and a trail scene here that I haven't seen rivaled anywhere else and I've spent a lot of time you know and coach a number of athletes uh, who are doing these things and for me it was like this mind-blowing thing when I observed my first ultra race and I love to get your thoughts on it as someone who was thrown right into <laughs> Western States within two or three months of moving here. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually happened even sooner than that because the race that Steven qualified for Western States in was the Lake Sonoma 50 miler. And so I think it was like, well, that's April. So yeah, that must've been right when you moved it was, here. Yeah. It was actually like a week or so after we got here and he needed help crewing for that. And I think we were the only crew for that. I mean, he had some teammates that were like helping him out, but, um, at Western States, he had a lot of his family out there, whereas here he was like, oh, like, actually, do you guys mind helping out? I really need people. And so Paul and I were able to go up to Lake Sonoma and, like, get a taste for what the heck 
trail racing really is. Like I, I had known about trail racing as some kind of like mystical, far off, weird running relation thing. But um, yeah, it's it's wild. It's just so. Uh, I don't know. So different from the way most roadrunners approach running, I think. Um, I mean, we were like walking back to the cars after handing Stephen some of his stuff at Lake Sonoma. And Walmsley was saying that like, yeah, if you're if you're like a pretty competitive roadrunner, like you probably aren't necessarily built for trail in the sense that it's a mentality thing. Like you really have to work hard to turn off that part of your mind that's going to pay any attention to pace, right? Like right. if you see like 7.30, you're like, holy I am working so hard to run 7.30, you start to panic if you're like a competitive runner because you're so used to that feeling like, oh, I could do this in my sleep maybe or something like that. Whereas for trail, yeah, 7.30 might feel hard because you're going like straight up for something. I don't know, like 1K avert. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, and that's still moving pretty fast because yeah. I've, I've run some really hard like 15, 16 minute miles when I'm running just as hard as if I was going all out on a track. And I think you're, you're spot on about that. I mean, I've, I've often said, and I've said this about myself, like you've got to really be wired for it. And mm -hmm. I've, I mean, I've done multiple 50 Ks, I've done 50 miles and 50 miles. I'm like, that was a long freaking way to run. <laughs> and I've hung around enough people now that like the hundred mile distance has become normalized. But I'm like, I don't think I have any interest it's in that. It's so bad for you. It's yeah. not good for yeah. the human body. I'm like, I just don't think I'm wired that way. And, and maybe that has to do with like my, my track and road running background. But it's like, I do think you need to be wired that way. And I think until you experience it up close, like you did, or I have, you don't really appreciate like how hard it really is it's because so all you hard. see from afar is the numbers on a paper. It's like, oh, he ran like someone's like, oh, Jim, Jim Walmsley ran 830 pace or whatever it was at, at Western States. It's like he ran 830 pace with a crazy amount of elevation gate on technical trails on a 90 something degree day. For hours. For, for yeah. hours. And it's like until you experience that, I don't think you can truly appreciate it. Yeah. I think I fell into that camp before where I was like, oh, trail running, like, like, it's just that there's not as much competition as like road running right now. Like it's just, there's not as many people doing it, but no, it's super hard. It's like, a different sport. Yeah. It's, it's a different sport. And it's, it's also like just wild to see how like it takes such a toll on your body. Like Steven finished that race and vomited for like 12 hours straight. He like couldn't really keep anything down. His ankles were so swollen. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but he like, incurred gout from basically from that race so yeah it's just like I mean as amazing and as impressive and motivating as it is to see all of that there's also some part of me that is like this just can't be good for you it's just not healthy it's not normal you curious to explore it at all uh yeah after saying all that I like sort of am um <laughs> it's twisted like that yeah I think like I think my priority is still figuring out the marathon a little bit, but I think I'm not as against the possibility of trying to do some trail stuff eventually. I mean, living here, I think it's, you're in, you've got a pretty good setup for you, it. You have to. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so accessible and it's like a lot of people, it's like, you never know how long you're going to live here and there's some of the best trails in the world. And it's like, if you don't scratch that itch at least a little bit and just go explore and see what it's all about and like experience the, the beauty of just being out there for you know, miles or hours on your own, I think you're really missing out. But, totally. Um, so I, I definitely would 
even if you don't want to race that far, <laughs> I, I would certainly take advantage of the trails that you have here north of the bridge and even south. There's there's tons of stuff either direction. Um, last bit I want to talk about here before we wrap up is sort of the state of running media. You were one of the first staff writers at Sidious Mag. And this is something I'm really interested in because I'm doing it as an independent content creator. Um, and we've seen you know, things like Sidious Mag pop up, um, you know, other small, like kind of niche running, uh, I, I want to say publications, but they're, you know, some websites, some actual publications, a lot of podcasts and things like that. I'd, I'd love to get, you know, sort of your thoughts on just the, the state of all of that. And, you know, what was exciting about you, uh, exciting to you, I should say, um, when you first got involved with like Sidious Mag, however many years ago, was that like two, two years ago, I think it kicked off or just about. Yeah. Yeah. Sidious Mag, um, founded and run by Chris Chavez is still going strong. I'm not doing as much as I was for it when it first started, but yeah, that was super fun. I think for me, that was kind of my like introduction or not introduction, but the, the time where I got to really look around and kind of take note of just how many different really niche publications there were in kind of the scope of running related news or, yeah, commentary, opinion, whatever it was. And it's wild that there's so much stuff that can exist because it's all sort of similar content, right? Like it's it's cool to me that there's there's enough slight like nuances between people's opinions or their way of looking at things that there's space for all of it. I think I, I sometimes wonder about like the saturation point, like where is that and are we getting close to it or have we passed it? I mean, I mean, there are things that are just going to always dominate. I think let's run like for good or for bad. It's just there. Like I don't think it's going away at this point. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think like there are some super practical purposes, right? Like some of it's just news, right? Like what's, what's happening out there in the world with running? Like what are the results of races? Like who's doing what? Um, that's really interesting. I think other purposes are like motivation for like, if you don't happen to live in a city where there's all this community or this life happening around running, it's cool to be able to get a taste for like what's going out in the world and, and help that make you want to do it too and feel part of it. Um, I think to me, like one thing that I've been interested in is like, what is it that makes me kind of want to be writing or like part of this, like adding a voice to this whole mess is, is that like, there's something about figuring out what it is that you feel and, and, and seeing if anybody else feels that same way too, right? Like not necessarily like recognizing yourself in others, but kind of like, getting to figure out what it, what the connective tissue is, right? Like, yeah, we're all runners, but like, there's gotta be something else. Like we've all, we've all had shared experiences, but like, let's dig deeper into those. Like what is at the heart of those shared experiences? So, yeah. Well, I think you nailed it. I think it is rooted in connection. I feel like, you know, bigger endemic publications, not to call them out specifically, but I will, but the runner's worlds, um, you know, trail runner, um, podium runner now, which is my former employer competitor (laughs) in some senses, they, in order to make it viable, they have to try to be everything to everyone. And there's good content that comes out of that, but people don't feel a real connection to it because they realize that. And I think now, because it is easy to be a content creator, whether it's having a blog or a website or a podcast or whatever it happens to be, that's what consumers, content consumers are are looking for is that 
connection. They'll, you know, they'll feel more of a connection with someone who has similar goals to them or thinks about a particular topic in the same way, or maybe like has similar interests in far, as far as training goes. So it's like, it's, it's smaller. It's definitely more niche like that, but I, I do feel like those connections are definitely a lot stronger and, and it's why, you know, publications like Sidious, like why what I'm doing uh, and other independent content creators can can sustain it um, because I think it just comes down to that, you know, that connection. That's what most of us are looking for at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. Agree. Last bit um, before we close this one out. What is personally exciting you the most about running right now? As you're not doing it. I know. It seems kind of like a rude question. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. It's a common um, one on uh, the show. What is exciting me the most about running right now? I think kind of like the fact that I'm not running at all is sort of exciting to me. It's sort of kind of like I'm wiping shit clear. I'm I'm going to have a clean slate when I start again, which is a nice way of saying I'm going to be really needing to build up some fitness. It's going to be tough. But yeah, I think the idea of kind of like the possibility that I am going to be able to not have to kind of like take two steps forward and then take two a step back or something like that is exciting. Like this this idea that I'm like getting to know myself better this whole time and, and sort of figure out like on a literal level, what exercises I need to be doing in order to activate my glute med before I go out the door for a run. And then on like a bigger figurative level, like why did it take me so long in order to decide I needed to pull the plug on running? Like what was it that made me cling to the idea of running a little bit banged up for so long? Um, that's really cool. It's like, I'm getting deeper into figuring all that stuff out so that when I come back, I'll have, yeah, hopefully like, a really sturdy foundation to build on, but then I'll also have that knowledge to kind of like help me get a little bit further. That's a great perspective. Thanks for taking the time to sit down and chat with me today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. All right. Another episode in the books. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, or heck, even if you didn't, go to the Apple Podcasts app, whatever platform you're listening to this on, and leave a rating and a review. It only takes a second, it helps new listeners to discover the show, and it lets me know what's really resonating with you. Also, a big thank you to Aftershocks for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Aftershocks is the award-winning headphone brand best known for its open-ear listening experience. Powered by patented, best-in-class bone conduction technology, Aftershocks headphones sit outside your ear so you can listen to your music and hear your surroundings. To learn more and save 50 bucks on an Aftershocks endurance bundle, visit tms.aftershocks.com and use the code TMS when you check out. A big shout out, as always, to my man John Summerford of bearsrecords.com. He takes care of all my audio needs for this show, the editing, the music, all of it. It's all John, and he's a big part of my small team here at the Morning Shakeout. Also, a couple more thank yous to some members of my team, Jeff Stern for the editorial assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also conveniently called The Morning Shakeout. You can find that at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you'll enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got for this one. I'm Mario Fraioli, and you've been listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>